So today we're in Psalm 137, and it is a psalm that the first eight verses you go, okay, I can understand what's going in here, going on here, and then the last verse is like really hard to deal with. So I figure because we're going to have to go uh, pretty, um, pretty difficult in the end, I would just start us off with more of a game. Um, and you don't have to call it out, but if, if you're somebody who knows it, you can. Um, this is the classic, which has been played at youth camp as, uh, is this Taylor Swift or Ecclesiastes? This is, is this Taylor Swift or Psalm 137? All right, so line number one, I'm just going to read it out. We cried and cried, remembering the good old days. All right, any hands up if you think that's Taylor Swift? And hands up if you think it's Psalm 137? It is Psalm 137. All right, second. How could we ever sing in this wasteland? All right. Anybody think it's Taylor Swift? It's Psalm 137. All right. Um, number three. It rains when you're here, and it rains when you're gone. All right. Is that Taylor Swift? It is, it is Taylor Swift. Okay. Uh, number four. Long were the nights when my days once revolved around you. Is it Psalm 137 or Taylor Swift? It is another Taylor Swift lyric. All right, number five. Walls of insincerity, shifting eyes, and vacancy. Again, Taylor Swift. All right, number six. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down. Taylor Swift or Psalm 137? It is Psalm 137. All right, number seven. A reward to whoever gets back at you for all you've done to us. All right, Taylor Swift lyric or Psalm 137? Psalm 137. All right, um, number eight might be an easy one. We're continuing to play, is this a Taylor Swift lyric or does this come from Psalm 137? So we'll see which one is which. Uh, number eight, did you have to do this? I was thinking you could be trusted. I think it's Psalm 137 or do we think it's Taylor Swift? Definitely Taylor Swift. That one's I think people know. Uh, number nine, like shadows in a faded light. Oh, we're invisible. Is that Psalm 137? Or is that Taylor? It's Taylor Swift. All right. Uh, number 10 is just oh, oh, oh. That, that's actually both of them. That, that one's actually both. Um, number 11, our enemies wanted happy songs. Is that Psalm 137? Or is that Taylor? That's Psalm 137. All right. Uh, number 12, see the vultures circling dark clouds. Is that a Taylor Swift lyric or is that Psalm 137? That's actually a Taylor Swift lyric. All right. Number 13, if I fail to remember you, to honor you as my greatest. Is that uh, Psalm 137 or, or is that Taylor Swift? It's Psalm 137. That's the message. Um, number 15, I'll just jump to the last one. These walls they put up to hold us back will fall down. That's the final one. So hands up if you think that's Taylor Swift. And hands up if you think that's Psalm 137. It is definitely Taylor Swift for the last one. All right, and we started with this, like, you know, kind of, is this lyric a Taylor Swift lyric or Psalm 137 for two reasons. Like I said, it's a bit of a heavier psalm, and it ends on a really rough note. We're going to have to, like, wade through some, some heavy stuff. So we better start out on, you know, a more, a more lighthearted note. Um, but also to, ha to really make the point that, like, the emotions that these psalms express um, are the same human emotions that we've been expressing for a really long time. And we've been doing it in songs for a really long time.
And we probably think of the songs that we go to uh, that go with our emotions, right? When we want to express pain or happiness or goodness. Um, I mean, if there's songs that we talk about revenge even, right? I think probably one of the classic ones is like Kelly Clarkson's Before He Cheats. Like, man, she just beats up that car, right? Like, that, that is... That, that is the revenge song. If you uh, remember back, back a little, a little, probably a little before that, the Dixie Chicks, Goodbye Earl. Yep, that's, again, very catchy, but like somebody's getting justice for what they've done and they've taken it into their own hands. Um, and when there's songs like that, when it talks about justice for a crime, we're like, oh, okay, you know, I get it. I wouldn't do it, but I get where they're coming from, right? I, I get that like some big wrong has been done and there is this desire for justice, that something bad's happened. And so when the Dixie Chicks say goodbye, Earl, we're like, well, I wouldn't do that, but no, 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 okay, I, I get it, right? We wouldn't actually destroy a car like, uh, like when they sing Before He Cheats. But we get why somebody would do that when somebody's been cheated on, right? That this, I got to get them back. I got to destroy them. And then as Christians, right, we're like, in Jesus, we can't do that, right? Like, Jesus is the one that forgives. Jesus is the one that takes the pain on himself. But man, do we get that desire when wrong has been done? We, we really want to seek vengeance. And the worse the pain, the more we, we believe that's justified, right? Because it's really hard to leave it to God. It's really hard to say, vengeance is yours, God. You're the one who's going to repay them. And either somebody's going to repent and like actually turn and actually want to change or you're a god of justice you're actually going to bring justice but it can be hard in, in, in trusting that um so when it comes to psalm 137 we actually have a really tough situation like that because israel has been in exile the northern tribes and the southern tribes um they've been split first of all and most of them been in exile and finally jerusalem has fallen and they've actually had their city destroyed a lot of them have seen their families and even their kids killed around them. And they've been sent off to Babylon. And so they've lost everything. They've lost their homeland. They've lost their homes. They've lost the temple they've worshipped in. And now they're in this almost too picture-perfect setting. They're by the rivers of Babylon, which is this astonishingly fertile area. It's a place that's actually watered. Things are actually growing. And Yes, they're a captured people, but Babylon's like a pretty rich empire that even if you're somebody serving in there, things are pretty good, right? You read the book of Daniel, right? The guys who were brought into the king's palace, right? There was, they, were, they weren't just saying, that's it, we're going to wipe out all of you. They say, actually, we want to assimilate your people and bring you into this empire. We don't just want to wipe you out. We want to bring you to this empire and make you part of us. And ancient Babylon was incredibly successful at this, that when they conquered peoples and brought them into their empire, People after people, nation after nation, did not retain their cultural identity. They just became part of the Babylonians. And so they're at this crossroads going, it's beautiful here, but it's been horrible to get here. And so they're carrying all of this pain, all of this loss, and they go, I don't want to become Babylon. I don't want to become a people who did this to somebody else. And no matter how beautiful it is here, I don't want to become the people who do what they've done to us. There's a painting here, and the painting isn't graphic. I'm going to put up the painting for a couple minutes. Um, and this painting is called, it, it, it's actually the least graphic painting that's under the same title. But this is by a French painter named Leon Cognet, and this one's called Massacre of the Innocents. This is a painting uh, that shows what happened in the New Testament when Herod 
was killing all the babies who were born in Bethlehem. And it shows a mother, right, who's holding her child, and she's covering the child's mouth. And you can just see the fear in her eyes, right, the desperation, hoping to avoid that her baby will meet the same fate. Because it's been a way that empires have terrorized for hundreds and thousands of years, right? Is that in warfare, and for various reasons, they'll kill the children. And as always, it disproportionately affects the women and the children. I put the painting there because I think that communicates more than I think words ever could. Um, I feel like with a story like this, I don't want to just talk in abstract things, but I think it's, it's important to tell a couple stories of what's happened with different empires and different nations and ways that this kind of warfare has been applied. But I, what I don't want to do is sprinkle any of those stories through the sermon because they're, they're difficult. And so what I'm going to do is for the next couple minutes, I'm going to tell a couple things that have happened and the kind of thing that had happened before Psalm 137, just so we can get an idea of the pain that they're speaking out of and the loss that they're speaking out of. Um, but if this is a topic where you go, I, I need to peace out for a minute, I need to step out, I need to plug my ears or check my phone or leave or mute the live stream, um, then it would be about, about two minutes, and then I'm not going to have any other stories like that for the rest of the sermon. So I just want to give kind of that content warning for that beforehand. Um, again, this is what happened in Egypt, right? When Pharaoh went to kill all of the, the Hebrew babies of a certain age. This is what empires do. Um, reading of the history of um, Western Sib and the different things that would happen when there was invading armies, right? You always had nations that would sacrifice their kids, and even the gods that... Israel, sir, when they turned away from God, would involve things like sacrificing children before a harvest to turn sure luck. There was one story where there was um, uh, one, of the, one of their necromancers, their, their practitioners of magic, and they said that the way for the city to be defended was if they would take a pregnant woman, uh, slit her open, take the baby, boil the baby, and then everybody would drink the resulting liquid. Things like that were commonplace, and children were just seen as commodities or seen as things to strike terror into people's hearts. Um, more recently, we can think of people that were in slavery, right, in an American slavery, and who had to feed their captors' babies, right? They had to feed the white babies, and their own babies starved to death in the process. I think of a woman that I know that when she became pregnant, and she had met and married a Christian, uh, her family actually took her and forced her to um, abort the baby. And that kind of thing where you've lost your child, where something has been done to you, where somebody has ripped a child out of your arms and had that kind of loss, I can't imagine that kind of pain. I can't imagine what that takes to see your child or your wife and your child go through that. But that's the kind of thing that's happened here. And so we go in Psalm 137, we're going to go, wow, there is some raw grief and some raw pain going on here. There is some stuff happening that these are... These are things I don't even know if it's okay to express. Um, but this is the kind of situation that it's coming out of. And they've been brought out of this warfare, out of these things done to them, uh, and brought again to this beautiful land and told, okay, well now just, you're just going to become one of us. So this is the response of an Israelite. This is the response of someone who's been captured, brought to Babylon, and this has happened to their family. Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There in the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. 
How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundation. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you've done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. I mean, that's honest, right? As Athanasia said, a lot of the scriptures speak to us, but the Psalms speak for us. And here we get somebody that has written a song that a lot of their other people could sing. God, something bad has happened, and we're not just going to hang up our harps and forget. Now, the people who were telling them to sing the songs were probably not the people who had killed their families. They were in a different location. They were with different people. They were under different conditions. And people were saying, well, why don't you sing some of those songs from where you come from? Why don't you sing the songs of Israel? It probably wasn't intended to be mocking. It probably wasn't intended to be as painful as it was. But whether it was intended to be mocking or not, it would have had the same effect, right? So Proverbs talks about um, like vinegar, like vinegar to the teeth of somebody who says uh, that you should sing songs when you have a heavy heart. The cure for being sad, the cure for having grief, the cure for going through pain is not to pretend that things are fine and be happy. In psycho psychological terms, right, we don't bypass our pain. We don't go, oh, it never happened. We don't go, oh, no, no, we're just going to cover it up. And so the equivalent of them being, being told to say, you know, I got the joy, joy, joy down on my heart. They're like, I don't, don't, don't. I'm not going to sing beautiful songs because even though we're in a beautiful place out there, we're still understanding what happened to us. And the people around them just don't get it. But the temptation for them to forget is very real. They could have just said, we're not going to sing about what happened, but we're going to try to adjust to the new life here. We're going to make the best of what we can. We're not going to lose what we have left of our families because we fail to fit in. So we're just going to move on. We're just going to block that out and put it in the past. As one pastor said, the temptation here for this group is to ignore it, to ignore the destruction of their city, the slaughter of their family, friends, and children, the destruction of the temple, the symbol of their identity belonging to God, and to put on a happy face and assimilate into the prosperous life of the Babylonians. And doesn't that somehow, in this pastor's words, sound like something that we can be tempted to do? We can advise people to look on the bright side of life, that we should, the people should be thankful, but they don't bypass. And we talked in the other, um, one of the other psalms about the lament psalms about that pain that is not trans, uh, transformed is transferred. That your pain has to be transformed so we don't pass it on to others and we don't get cycles of unhealth and we don't just carry it with us the rest of our life. And in this psalm, God is calling a community to express the pain, to not cover it over, to not ignore it, to say it didn't happen, but to express the pain that only Christ can transform. And it's also a pretty raw Old Testament look about them only seeing one end to this, right? All they know is Egypt. All they know is that God delivered them from Egypt and he struck down Egypt's firstborn. And that wasn't a huge battle with lots of casualties. That was a surgical strike. That was 
in so many ways, minimizing uh, the deaths that could have happened to that. There wasn't a bloody slave rebellion. There wasn't um, a huge revolt. There weren't people killed as they were fleeing. But all they can think of is, God, would you have revenge on those? Make them pay. Make them hurt in the same way for what they've done to us. So they don't know how this can be resolved. But they express it to God, and they say, God, I want justice. They haven't seen Jesus yet. They haven't seen what's going to happen with Babylon, where instead of God overthrowing Babylon, um, or later the Persian Empire, uh, where, where instead of God overthrowing the empire, he actually changes the king's heart and enables them to go back to their land. God does it without bloodshed. God does it without having another nation invade. What God does with Babylon, again, being taken over by Persia, and freeing them to go back to their land, back to their temple, back to their people, what God does through that, they can't even imagine. So they're crying out for the only thing they know in this, in this psalm, which is revenge. Eugene Peterson says this, the way of prayer is not to cover our unlovely emotions so that they can feel respectable. I think this psalm pretty much shows that, right? The way, the way of prayer doesn't cover those unlovely emotions so that they can feel respectable, but expose them so they can be enlisted into the work of God's kingdom. And the psalm does that. It exposes it. It exposes what they're feeling. It exposes the cry of their hearts, which is for justice. Although the only way they can think of justice done is for them to be paid back as they had done to them. The longer quote from Eugene Peterson is this. He says this, our hate needs to be prayed and not suppressed. Hate is our emotional link with evil. It's the volcanic eruption of outrage when the holiness of being, ours or another's, has been violated. Hate is often the first sign we care. It's easy to be honest with God in our hallelujahs. Like when things are going good, it's easy to be honest, right? When Leonard Cohen says, right, when it's a cold and broken hallelujah, it's different, right? It's different. But as Eugene Peterson says, it is somewhat more difficult to be honest in our hurts. It's nearly impossible to be honest with God in the dark emotions of our hate. In prayer, not all is sweetness and light. And so that's what he finishes this quote with. The way of prayer is not to cover our unlovely emotions so that they will appear respectable, but expose them so that they will be enlisted into the work of God's kingdom. So again, Psalm 137 is a tough one. But one of the most incredible things that happens out of this psalm is that they express a need for justice. They express a desire that the nation that killed their children and destroyed them will be paid back, and that they'll be able to return home to Zion. And what God does, of course, is not just be a God of justice, because what would have been just would have been just to pay them back. But what God does instead is say, I want to save even them. And so God, what God brings Daniel and the other guys to Babylon. And he puts them to be an influence in the kingdom and speak to the kingdom. And even as it changes from the Babylonian to the Persian Empire, God eventually puts them in a position and says, I'm going to have the king acknowledge that God is the Lord. And he begins to follow God and acknowledge who he is. God doesn't just say, I'm going to overthrow the empire. He changes that empire from the inside out. And instead of another war, another revolt, another another bloody uprising or rebellion, God has the people return to their land in peace and rebuild the temple with the resources of the empire behind it. And God frees his people and restores them with a creativity that we don't have in our hate. 
Hate doesn't make us creative, right? We're mad at someone, usually over much, 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 much less than this. It narrows our path. It, sh- it, sh- it shortens our vision. We can only see this far in front of our face. And God says, I can see so much more. There will be justice, but there is also redemption. There is also a path forward that doesn't make the innocent suffer. There is also a path forward that has an imagination that we don't have when we close in in hatred. And of course, what Christ would do is that he would send his own son. Not an innocent victim who didn't choose it, but an innocent victim who said, I will go willingly to the cross, and I will pay for those who committed these sins. I will pay for those who committed these crimes. And I will pay so that even them can find forgiveness, find redemption, and spend eternity with me. That's the God we serve. God doesn't just fight evil with evil, but he blows it apart at its core. He destroys its power. Because once you've taken evil upon yourself, as Christ has done on the cross, once you've died and borne the weight of sin, and once you've risen from the dead, what else can you do? What else can evil try? What else can sin attempt? Because the one who has died has risen again. And God's son is alive forever. And he says that all who live and believe in him will never die. And so what we get to do is live in the face of kings and empires that rise and fall without fear. We're going to live with God in eternity. And so we started with the early church, which again creatively rose and creatively spread because of this belief in the God who forgives who takes sin upon himself, who never dies and gives us eternal life. And so what Jesus does is he gives us the ability to stand against anything and not say, God, would you get them back? But as Christ did on the cross, you can say, Father, forgive them. And out of that, you see the witness of the early church, right? All the martyrs who said it's better to die than to take revenge. And it's been interesting to see as you go through history, there's all the different empires that formed, right? The Roman Empire eventually had their own emperor convert. And they danced kind of the dance and um, had to navigate, right? Um, Do you bring the force of an empire behind trying to make people Christian? That's not a good idea, right? You don't use the military to try to force people to convert. That's not good. Um, But it's always been that the patient ferment of the early church as one academic says, the patient rising up, that yeast working through the whole batch of dough, instead changes cultures and nations and kingdoms from the inside out. That's what God has made his people to be. Um, And in the middle, when things happen that are truly evil, we don't bypass it. We don't say we're going to sing the joy, joy, joy when it's not happening. We don't say that murder isn't murder, or evil isn't evil, or that we just forget where we came from. But we say, God, I'm going to express things honestly to you. And I'm going to wait for you to have the answer. They expressed their desire that God would have justice. And God answered in a way that they would not have understood. And when there's situations in our lives, again, much less serious than this, when we express our cry for justice, God can bring solutions that we never thought possible. Last uh, week, we did a song talking about the new song that God's people sing. And when there's a new song and it says, sing a new song, it's always about Christ winning a victory. It's always about a military victory that God has accomplished, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament. And the final thing that we see for a military victory for Christ doing is in the book of Revelation. The people of God sing a new song. 
because he has overcome. And he's overcome because he is the lamb that was slain. He is the one, again, who takes all evil upon himself and for eternity is victorious. And when he comes back to judge the nations, he does so as the one who's also paid for all the nation's sins. And again, anyone who repents, anyone who comes to him, anyone who believes, he will never drive out. But for those who reject him, there's only left the wrath of God. And we live in a time where we still have that choice. Are we going to be, become people who follow the Lamb and are people of the Lamb? Who say, God, I trust in your justice. I trust in your judgment. But God, I also desire through you that people would be saved, that they would repent, that evil no longer overflows and multiplies. But God, that you have forgiveness given to anyone who would receive. And are we going to be those people in our lives as well? So I want to close today and uh, just pray that there's two, there's two things I want to take out of this. Um, we haven't been dealing with what the Israelites have. We haven't been um, forced out um, of our homeland and our children killed and our captors forcing us to try to sing happy songs. That's not the situation that we're in. There are people around the world that have been in that situation and people that are coming to Canada in that situation, but for most of us, that's not, that's not where we are. Um, but we do have things where we're tempted to take revenge into our own hands. We do have things where what's been done to us really narrows our perspective as to what can happen. And I want to make sure that we ask God that he would step into those situations and that he would give us the trust that we have in him. I also want to offer an invitation that if you're here today or you're watching online and you don't know Jesus yet, let him transform your pain. Let him come into your life and let him take what's in your chest and what's balled up in there and what you can't deal with on your own and let him transform it because he's the only one who can. And he wants to not only forgive your sins, but make you a conduit of his forgiveness. So would you join just uh, bow your heads and pray with me? Uh, God, this is a tough psalm, and it's a tough situation. Um, there's evil in the world, God, that we, we find it hard to comprehend. Uh, and there's also the evil, God, that we experience, and God, that we do to others. God, I pray that you would first of all have a search our own hearts, God. Um, if there's places where we've been wronged, God, and it's narrowed our perspective and we've wanted to just get people back, God, I pray that you would both burn in our hearts the compassion that you have, the forgiveness, the desire for people to be reconciled to you and to truly repent. And God, just give us an imagination for what that can be. Help us to both desire that and to pray for your will in these situations, Lord. And God, for those who don't know you yet, I pray that they would experience your forgiveness, that you are the one who says, come to me, who comes to me, I will never drive away. And God, I pray that you continue to make us those conduits of your forgiveness, Lord. God, we trust in your justice, but God, we hope in your forgiveness. We hope in your redemption. And God, we know you can turn people and situations around, even the empire of Babylon, God, that we could never see a solution come out of it. You can do it, God. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask Jared to come up and uh, do a final worship song. And before we go, we'll just sing one more uh, worship song to God today. And then we'll pray and head out for the rest of the day.